This is Business Impact, a podcast series from UCD College of Business, Ireland's leading business school. I'm your host, Emmett Oliver, and each episode, I'll be joined by world-renowned faculty from across the College of Business, as well as international industry leaders who will offer us insight, spark curiosity, and challenge you to rethink how you do business in a changing world. to another edition of Business Impact from UCD Business School. It's great to talk to you as we head towards the end of the year. This year, we say this about every year, but this year seems to have gone faster. I don't know whether it was being released from COVID restrictions or what it was, but the year just seemed to absolutely speed, turbocharge through all 12 months. It is very cold as we come to December, but their retail wheels are grinding up. There's sales even being talked about in January. <laughs> yes, January 2023. So it is that feeling of end of year, taking stock, looking back, drawing a few tentative conclusions and looking forward as well. We're not going to go full review of the year on this particular conversation, but we are taking the temperature in the particular area of Ireland and the global economy. I've been looking at some of the statistics recently about our corporation tax returns here in Ireland. And I noticed from the most recent ones for November almost, not quite, but almost one in three euros now of our tax take is coming from corporation tax and the multinational base that Ireland has assembled over the years. So I think that's an extraordinary amount of money, both dangerous on one level, but also welcome in the sense that is a problem of success on another hand. So it's a very odd sort of figure in there. We've also seen a, a global slowdown in the tech sector, which Ireland has been dealing with. And everyone is kind of asking the question, is that something of a speed bump or is there something more long-term and structural going on in the tech sector in Ireland? There has been losses, as you know, in various companies. Twitter comes to mind, but Meta and one or two other big brand names as well. So where does all this leave us as we come towards the end of the year? And I have the perfect guest to tease out some of these, and that's Anna Scally, who is a partner in KPMG. She heads up the technology and media practice there, and she speaks regularly on tech issues all over the world, not just in Ireland as a a well-versed speaker at a number of the most prominent tech conferences, and she watches very closely the trends here in Ireland. And she is a UCD BCom graduate, so she's the ideal candidate for this conversation. Anna Scali, you're very welcome. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Thank you so much, Emma. Delighted to be here with you today. Yes, and as I said, it's it's a good time to look at things trend-wise and lots of things, noise and bumps during the year, and it's hard to get a handle on them. But as you get near that year-end piece, you can kind of see a picture forming in certain areas. Could I ask you, first of all, just in your own sort of area of speciality, which is taxation, we're looking at a corporation tax coming out towards the end of the year at about 23 billion or thereabouts, depending on how the last month of the year fills out. It's an extraordinary amount of money. And I suppose on one level, it's a almost a problem of success. I suppose the Department of Finance and the government, they probably never thought it would actually get as big as this. What's your own reaction to that figure that came in very recently? Pretty phenomenal, uh, Emmett, actually. So the Exchequer returns for November were released uh, recently. Remember, November is always a big month for us. Most of the large companies pay their corporation tax, and it's also a large month for paying income tax, particularly for self-employed. But this November was really a, a bumper November. So total corporation tax receipts this month were 21 billion, which broke last year's record of 15 billion and really were about 56% up on last year, which is quite phenomenal. And as you say, we are expecting the outturn for the year end to be closer to about 23 billion, which will mean that corporation tax 
has taken over, I suppose, as the second biggest tax head we have. Uh, income tax being the largest and always a, an important one as well. That was up by 16% this month also to about 28 billion. Corporation tax, then I said at 21 billion and VAT at 18 and a half billion, up 22% on this time last year as well. So really a bumper year, but corporation tax, obviously the major increase that we have seen this year. Now, Anna, there, there's a lot of commentary out there. I'll split the field into two groups, if you want to call it that. We will name, we name no names, but one group says that this is this is a dangerous exposure, that we're so reliant on this, as you say, it's coming in now as the second largest tax head. And, you know, it's unlikely to stay at these levels. And the Fiscal Council have said, you know, over 50% of it could be, um, you know, not there long term. Another group says, no, you know, there's been changes in the tax landscape and these companies are highly profitable. And secondly, a lot of them have moved some of their intellectual property onshore and Ireland is benefiting from that as well. Where, where do you fall in that, in that sort of debate or where, where do you see the future of, of this particular tax head, which has now turned out to be very, very vital for the Irish economy? Incredibly vital and an important component of our tax take. So there's probably a couple of comments that I could make on that. One is probably to recognise, just to those that are a little bit nervous about it, that in uh, the Minister for Finance's statement around the Exchequer returns, he did use the, the word potentially volatile corporation tax receipts. So there is, you know, there's a, a nervousness there as to whether the level of corporation tax receipts can be sustained. And in that regard, he, he did and transfer two billion of this year's receipts to the National Reserve Fund and plans to transfer another four billion next year. So there is there a, a I suppose it's a nervousness, but it's also a realisation that you know, the gain seen this year may be, you know, in the nature of windfall, but I don't think it's just that. I mean, certainly we know, uh, you know, Ireland has had a very, very uh, steady and certain tax policy. Uh, and it's not just a tax policy, our industrial policy uh, back since the 50s has been based on a low corporation tax regime. Um, and uh, as you know, for the last number of years, the rate of corporation tax in Ireland is 12.5%. And that is very attractive both to domestic Irish companies, but also, and in particular, to multinational companies, you know, might otherwise face tax rates much higher than that if they don't set up or haven't set up operations in Ireland. So we made a very, very conscientious decision to have a low corporation tax rate and to ensure that our regime was very, very competitive. And that has helped us, as you know, to attract a very significant number of multinational companies here to Ireland. In fact, in the last year, 2021, there were 249 new investments were, were won by the IDA essentially here in Ireland against fierce competition, I might say. Like there is fierce competition for foreign direct investment, but Ireland has been very, very successful in winning that investment. And one of the reasons why is the corporate tax policy that we've adopted. Obviously, there are lots of other policies that we have adopted, like talented workforce, etc., that make it, you know, Ireland a very good place to do business. But just focusing on tax uh, and our tax receipts, I mean, our industrial policy has uh, been very certain and the 12.5% tax rate has been important. And the type of companies that we've attracted to Ireland is important too. So we have attracted a lot of tech companies, pharmaceutical companies, med tech companies. And those companies, as you know, you know, despite the very, very difficult few years we've all 
personally maybe had in relation to COVID and lots of domestic businesses have had in relation to COVID, those multinational companies in the ICT and pharma sectors in particular have had very, very profitable years uh, through COVID. And it is the profits of a lot of those multinational companies which have grown through 2021 in particular that is now reflected in the tax receipts that we are seeing. So 21, 22 have been very good years for those types of companies. And we are very lucky. They are the types of companies that we have managed to attract to Ireland. And I believe we will retain in Ireland. So, you know, this year might be exceptional, but certainly I would expect to see corporate tax receipts continuing to play a very, very important role in the overall balance of tax receipts that Ireland continues to collect. And Anna, in terms of obviously there's a slight lagging effect in the whole taxation return. You, you don't pay live uh, receipts on, on your, uh, your your profits at the moment. You're always a sort of a year behind or maybe even more in the case of some of the large corporations. So do, do you see there's, um, as you say, this may be an exceptional year. Is it likely that any drop in them comes afterwards? So it's, 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 it's the ones for 2023 and maybe even 2024. That's where you, if there's going to be a drop, that's where it'll show up. So we're, we're, we're looking at a dangerous trend, not now, but in the future. Is that is that the right way to look at the system? Not necessarily. So the system requires companies to, to estimate what their outturn is going to be for the year. So for a December year-end company, they have to estimate and pay over 90% of the, the tax they expect to have to pay for that year in November. So actually we're seeing sort of live profits uh, are live, the taxes that were paid in the month of November are fairly representative of what's been happening in 2022. But, you know, who's to tell? Obviously, we cannot be complacent and we certainly cannot be complacent. There are a number of different issues that we're facing. We obviously see huge increases in energy costs um, and the impact of the, the war, unfortunately, over in Ukraine. We're seeing, you know, very, very significant increases in inflation. There is certainly a nervous tension out there as to whether we are headed, we, I mean, the globe as opposed to Ireland necessarily, whether whether we're headed into a, a larger recession. Um, and there are specific tax challenges that Ireland is going to have to face. So you'll be aware that both the OECD and the EU have been working on a number of different tax proposals and changes. And one very important one there is the EU minimum tax directive, or those who've been following it from an OECD perspective might be familiar with the concept of this pillar one and pillar two, pillar two being a minimum effective tax rate proposal. And it's more than a proposal. I mean, Ireland has agreed to it and the OECD are working on, you know, more guidance and it is expected that the new minimum effective tax rules would be would come into effect in 2024. And there's a slight fly in the ointment there because Hungary has not agreed to sign up to the EU directive, which is really the way in which these rules would be changed in Ireland. But assuming that goes ahead and assuming Hungary eventually comes on board, we will see for large multinational companies that are in the scope of this minimum tax directive, we will see the corporate tax rate uh, or the effective rate for those companies moving from 12.5% to 15%. Which should mean, you know, extra revenue, at least initially, right? In theory, but it also removes, I suppose, 12.5% tax rate is very competitive in comparison to, for example, the UK, who are moving their tax rate to 25% in April. 
I mean, the delta then between 15 and 25 is obviously less than 12 and a half to 25. So it, it might impact upon decision making uh, that companies make. So that that's a risk. But in theory, if the companies stay here, in theory, if the companies man, manage to make profits like they have been doing, then in theory, we stand to make more if, if the rate increases to 15 percent. But I would be really, really cautious about that because it could impact, as I say, upon decision making and Aside from the, the pillar two or those minimum tax rate proposals, there is a second um, there is a second pillar, pillar one that is out there, um, which would pose a fairly serious threat to Ireland's corporate tax receipts. And this has been acknowledged by the Department of Finance. And that is the pillar one proposal, which is essentially to move tax to be paid where the consumer is located, as opposed to, for example, where the company is located that might to develop those products and services. What what stage of the pillar ones at, or where where in the whole process are they? Or the OECD is in the process currently, and uh, in fact, this week we'll release a new paper on uh, pillar one. So at the moment, what the OECD is doing is introducing or is releasing a number of different papers for comment on pillar one, which are designed then to help with the the, the final design of those pillar one proposals and how they might then be um, implemented into national laws. Because what has to happen here is the Pillar 1 proposals um, with the OECD, each country takes on board what the OECD ultimately agrees and has to input that into their own legislation. So it's a very, very tricky process. But but Pillar 1 at the moment is, it's, it's moving along. It's probably moving a lot slower than was anticipated. And one of the big barriers, I suppose, to the full implementation of Pillar 1 is the US and whether the US Congress can make particular changes uh, to their tax laws ultimately. And that, as you know, is very tricky and is particularly tricky where you have a split House and Senate in the US. So the the benefit of Pillar 1, if, if there is a benefit, is that it might mean or should mean that unilateral tax proposals or unilateral taxes like digital services taxes that many countries have implemented over the last number of years. The quid pro quo is if Pillar 1 comes in, they disappear, which means then that companies are dealing with one set of rules rather than lots of different set of rules. But at the minute, it's not clear that those proposals will make it all the way um, or it might take a couple of years before they can be fully implemented. So that's still out there. And there are lots of other threats out there. So we cannot be complacent. We need to continue to make sure that, um, you know, our corporate tax regime. So I've spoken a lot about rate, but we need to make sure that our corporate tax regime um, which you know involves our R&D tax credits and all of that. We need to make sure that that remains very competitive. And we also need to continue to do work on our personal tax regime. Because as you know, you know it, I, I mentioned earlier, income taxes is an incredibly important part of our tax take as well. And we need you know senior people working in large multinationals as well as senior people working in large domestic companies uh, paying income tax here in Ireland in order to support our tax receipts. Yes, indeed. And that's, uh, as you say, there was a commission studying that uh, whole area in the last few months, which had some proposals some people didn't like, others were, were more keen, but we, we can't get into that now. In terms of the employment losses that we've seen recently, and we don't want to get into obviously individual companies or anything like that, but do you, would, would you connect up those job losses with a, a decline in profitability? In other words, if these companies are laying off people, there seems to be a slowdown in their level of profitability, particularly in the social media side. It's less is pronounced, I suppose, in, in, in other parts of the tech world. Does that tell you that 
the, the returns themselves, even if everything stayed the same in terms of uh, policy, that there's going to be a bit of a slowdown. Companies that are laying people off are generally not going to stay as profitable in the future. So just if you took just that one element alone, is that something that the government should be keeping an eye on? Yeah, it's obviously very hard to predict um, where that will all end up. But I think most of the companies that have made layoffs um, just in the recent couple of weeks uh, have all acknowledged that they went through significant booms over the last couple of years and grew very, very substantially. And I think most of them have couched the layoffs in the context of trying to get back to a more sustainable growth rate. So I do think there is, you know, one has to question whether that would have a a direct impact on the corporate tax or the profitability of those companies in the next short term as they, you know, maybe get back on a more sustainable footing. Uh, And so I do think we did, you know, obviously time will tell whether it impacts specifically on corporate tax receipts. It, it, It is likely to impact specifically on income tax receipts, but whether or not it is material enough to make a significant dent, I think we will need, you know, to all keep a watchful eye over the next year or two. And Anna, when would you first um, expect to see sight of whether that's happening or not? Is it in next year's, sort of middle of next year's returns that you'd see come in or, or would you see it earlier? Like, when do we see whether things are dipping slightly, you know? Potentially. And obviously, you know, there there are a, a, a lot of taxpayers that go into uh, making up our corporate tax take and our, our income tax take. So, you know, changes in one or two of them may or may not have a significant impact um, that said, you know, back to our reliance on the multinational sector, if we look at the uh, corporate tax receipts and income tax receipts for 2021, we know that 83% of the corporate tax receipts were paid by foreign-owned multinationals. And those foreign-owned multinationals, not necessarily the same ones, but foreign-owned multinationals also paid 53% of the income tax receipts. So we are heavily reliant on them. So yes, maybe a couple of those uh, very significant ones you know, will make a difference and something that we need to keep an eye on as we move through 2023. Yeah, I mean, I think it, there's a concentration risk uh, where we, we're always being told in that area is it's a handful of companies. We, we, we'd like to spread that further, but it's kind of hard to know how you actually do that without frightening off the investors in the first place. There is a huge concentration risk. Uh, and we know that like the top 10 corporate taxpayers paid about 53% of the corporate tax in 2021. It, we're assured from the Department of Finance that it's not always the same 10, right? <laughs> the numbers, the, yeah. the, the companies in that top 10 change every year. But you're right. I mean, it, it is definitely, uh, there is a heavy concentration, certain large companies. Uh, and I mean, I think the Department of Finance are absolutely well aware of this. It is critically important that we continue to make sure that Ireland remains an attractive place for those companies to locate and for people to live and work. So, you know, it was very, you know, helpful to see in the recent budget that uh, aside from it being a cost of living budget and the fact that we were really in a very lucky position that we could spend 11 billion in that budget on cost of living measures because of the surpluses that have been generated through corporation tax in particular. But it was really, really important, I think, that the minister made a couple of changes on the income tax front to make things a little bit more competitive. So we increased the standard rate band to 40 grand, which I think would be will be a help. And also signalled that there would be a review of the personal tax regime and that he was going to introduce a medium term roadmap to show personal tax reform. Because I think that is important, that we have a very, very competitive business tax regime around corporation tax. 
But our income tax regime, you know, we still pay a lot of tax. Individuals still pay a lot of tax and other countries have more competitive personal tax regimes than we might have. I think the Department of Finance are very keen to look at um, a medium term roadmap for personal tax reform, which I think it would be is very important and a key part of making sure that we do remain competitive. Now, Anna, you're known, as I said in my intro, for someone who, who reaches out a lot to the international tax community. You speak a lot, a lot of events, although I'm sure COVID hit you hard on that front. It was hard to, to get out and about. So I'm sure you're delighted to uh, get to speak at various events. But I know you bring the KPMG message with you. Anna, in terms of Ireland on that global stage, I mean, you've talked about tax, but there is that there is a kind of a wider picture there. You get to talk to investors, you're involved in bringing companies in, not just in media, but also in fintech and a whole range of other technology led sectors. What, what way are we viewed as an Ireland Inc. proposition? Uh, obviously, there's a lot of uncertainties out there, but but how, just take the temperature for me a little bit on how external investors are perceiving Ireland as a location at this particular point. Our access to the European market, right, of 450 million people um, and full labour flexibility and mobility that we enjoy here in Ireland is a major, major benefit to Ireland. Um, and, and that I suppose that that benefit of full access to the European market and the benefit of, you know, people from around Europe and other countries being able to come and work and live in Ireland has really, really made Ireland a very, very attractive place. We've seen in Brexit that the upset that that our UK neighbours have seen and really us being a key member of the EU and the Eurozone with full market access is a huge, huge benefit to us and not something that we should ever underplay. Talking to the guys in UCD, I love actually when I'm out in person um, and have recently been out talking to third years and the first years, you know, our young, flexible, educated workforce. And uh, that is so important, right? And the international investors and international companies that, that I work with want to know about the universities. They want to know about the courses that people are doing. They want to know about the work experience that they are getting or the placements that they are being facilitated with. That is critically important. And I know people say, oh yeah, young educated workforce. I mean, the facts speak for themselves. I mean, Ireland has the youngest and probably the most highly educated workforce in Europe. And that is, if you look at any of the OECD benchmarks um, and any of the population studies, we do. And it is a really, really important fact for us um, and, you know, continues to be a really, really important reason why international companies want to be here. And I know I spoke a lot about tax and I won't talk about it again unless I... <laughs> you don't mind. You are, you are a tax consultant ultimately here, so that's, it's OK. That's your day job. <laughs> I think, you know, the fact that we are, we've a, had a consistent economic policy, right, tax being a very important part of that, but very, very consistent economic policies and political stability. And even when, you know, we have party changes or leadership changes, you know, the pro-business um, and the, you know, pro-business regulatory environment, pro-business uh, culture that we have and the consistent economic policies that we have continued to have right back really from the 50s have been critical to our success. And, and you've only to look at some of our near neighbours who flip-flop in and out of changes depending on who's in power or otherwise. We can't underestimate the importance of that to international investors. They want certainty and they want to make sure that whoever's leading what party or whoever's in power isn't going to change fundamentally the rules of engagement. And we in Ireland have been really, really fortunate in that regard. And that is something we're going to have to continue to work on. 
over the next number of years, making sure that investors have the certainty. And do you have um, do you have a worry in that regard? Obviously, there's the two party or three party, should I say, in power at the moment, but they're, the polls are pretty, <laughs> they're, they're pretty um, dramatic at the moment, oscillating around. So is there a concern that that wouldn't be in place? Well, who's to know what happens, um, you know, in politically in the future? But I think, you know, all parties in Ireland appreciate and understand the importance of consistent economic policies. And looking at the tax take recently, you know, it's critically important that we continue to have that very, very healthy uh, tax take if we are going to continue to fund public services like health, education and really, really importantly, social welfare. And you saw it during COVID, we were so lucky that we could introduce like our uh, temporary wage subsidy scheme. PUP, etc. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The PUP. We could only do that and we could only spend a huge amount of, you know, our tax take on social welfare because we had that tax take. You know, we saw other countries really weren't in a position or weren't fortunate enough to do that. And I know all of the policymakers get it, right? And so I would hope, and, you know, this certainly I think would, is, is critically important, but I do think that all of the political parties get the importance of Ireland continuing to be attractive for international investors because they contribute so much to our economy. And by contributing so much to our economy, that enables us to, you know, have a, you know, a very big health, social protection and education budgets. And they're all critically important to all of us here in Ireland. I suppose, yeah. I mean, at almost one in three tax euros, it, there, there's no doubt that is. I mean, I suppose there's two ways to tackle it is to preserve it and say, as you say, get the policy mix right so that we can preserve that position. Maybe there's also an argument to say we need to also be careful about diversity, you know, to 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 spread out the economic activity and bulk up the domestic side or the indigenous side so that we're not so reliant. So how, how do you how do you see that kind of debate? That That's absolutely the case, right? And I have a, I have a funny role. I am passionate about two things. <laughs> One, I'm passionate about Ireland continuing to be a great place for international investors to invest. But I have a total split personality in that I absolutely am passionate about helping Irish companies to grow and scale and succeed. And as part of that, I'm part of the advisory board of Scale Ireland, which is the association which helps fast growing, ambitious Irish companies to scale. And I'm absolutely passionate about the support that we need to continue to give to Irish companies so that they can grow and compete and can help to balance, I suppose, our reliance on the international community. But, but I'm also a realist in that some of the larger international companies have the capacity to generate at this point in time, you know, more profits than some of the Irish domestic companies. But I think it's critically important that we continue to champion Irish companies and we continue to help them to grow and to scale both domestically and internationally. And in that regard, I mean, Enterprise Ireland does an absolutely superb job with the domestic companies, as IDA does with the international companies. Some of our pol tax policy measures that we've introduced, like the research and development tax credit, and we've actually made some important changes to that in the recent budget. Very, very important to domestic Irish companies who are innovating and doing R&D. And in fact, there are more changes that could, could be made to that regime to make it even more attractive for Irish companies. But, but it is critically important to help support and sustain Irish innovative companies who are performing and doing R&D work. I mean, I think it's also 
important and we should, we should notice, note that certain tax regimes which are introduced to help investors invest in Irish startup companies like the Keep regime that was extended to 2025. Again, probably a bit more that can be done to make it easier for employees of Irish-based companies to get options in those companies and to actually become shareholders in their companies because it, it is internationally, and the Irish government uh, agree with this or on board with this, you know, if employees have an ownership interest in their company, you know, they can be incentivized to try and push harder <laughs> to help that company align grow. Align the interests, says the yeah. old argument. Align yeah, the interests, exactly. Now, listen, Anna, um, one, one thing I do know is one of the kind of strange fallouts of the tech slowdown, I think slowdown is probably the, the best way to put it because, um, you know, hiring is still going on a lot of companies just at a slower rate. But a lot of students that I talk to, they say to me, oh, well, notice this, you know, Twitters and certain company brand names that they're aware of, that they pay close attention are slowing down or laying people off. So a lot of them are looking for security. They're looking for, you know, to be in industries that are maybe stabler as they would perceive it. And one of those is the big four <laughs> accountancy groups and auditing groups and consultant groups. Uh, I, I used to, they used to all just be accountancy groups and auditors, but I know all four of you do so many different things there with advisorial work across a whole range of areas. But they all want to, well, all of them, a lot of students want to go into this area. It is a coveted area at the moment, as I said. Uh, the, the Irish mammy and Irish daddy are both pushing them in this area as well. You're in there. You're, you're quite a senior partner in KPMG. You've come through the BCom program. Have you any sort of advice? And I don't want to say, how do I get into the big four? Because there's certain structures I know that are already in place. But more generalized advice about you know who's suitable for the, these companies, what the companies are looking for, what are the talents, what are the skills that you would advise a youngster to be looking at at this stage? Yeah, we have seen an, an uptick in people interested, uh, which is great to see and very positive for us. But before I comment on that, I should also say that the Irish tech community and Irish tech companies are also looking for employees. And that has been probably, uh, that hopefully will be a positive gain for some of the Irish tech companies in that they will get employees who've come out of some of the multinationals. And you'll be aware of some events, including one held by Dogpatch Labs, to try and match uh, Irish tech companies with um, with those who might be leaving some of the multinationals. So that might hopefully be a benefit and help us to scale some of the Irish tech companies a bit quicker than we might have anticipated but back to your question uh, on, you know, the, the accountancy profession. And you're right. Uh, historically, we were probably perceived as being accountants, boring accountants, doing audits and tax work. Nothing could be further from the truth. right? <laughs> you still do some of that, but that's not your main bread and butter. We still do audits. We still do tax work. And taxes is my baby in the area of most interest to me. But we also do consulting in a huge range of areas. Um, like sustainability, for example, ESG, cyber consulting, etc. So hu huge range of opportunity. So wh what I would say to people there is, yes, I did the BCom. I didn't know what I wanted to do right when I did the BCom. But I thought, well, maybe if I go into a big four and I was lucky to join KPMG, maybe if I go in there and I do my chartered accountancy exams, that'll give me a better appreciation for business and maybe a bit more time to think about what I really want to do with my life. And I suppose that is what coming into a professional services firm like KPMG helps you do is it gives you an opportunity, obviously, to, to build your skills um, and to get a, a fourth level education, if you like. So I went and did my chartered accountancy exams. And then because I was in tax, did my tax exams. Did that by the by while I was getting great work experience. So, so the huge benefit to working in a, a professional services firm like this is that you have an opportunity to work with a wide range of clients and companies 
all with different challenges and opportunities. And no one client is the same. And every minute of the day you are learning and you are learning something different, right? And you are applying that knowledge in a different way. So I am, I'm very lucky. I worked with a broad range of clients in lots of different sectors. And then as I've developed my career, I've realized that actually I love international companies, as I've spoken a lot about today, and, and mainly those in the tech and pharma sector. But I also love Irish tech companies and I love helping them. And so I've been able to utilize my tax, I suppose, which is my skill to help those companies to grow. And, you know, they're my sectors that I have an interest in. You know, for others, it might be aircraft leasing. It might be uh, and broader aviation. It might be um, deep tech in some of the tech companies. It might be insurance. Um, it might be hotels and property. You know, there's a huge, huge range of companies that we work with and clients that we work with, which means that there's something for everybody. And there's an opportunity to get involved in the sector or the area of most interest to you. Would you say to the students that like you do hear lots of stories about the first few years in the big four, it's particularly tough and then it sort of gets a bit better uh, in terms of hours of commitment. Is it a case of kind of brace yourself for those first years and work hard or what's your advice once you go into the companies? Well, I think I think yeah, people do work hard, right? And they do work hard in professional services, but I think people play hard too. Um, and that's something coming out of college that I think people will uh, be familiar with in that they work hard for their exams, but they also play hard. And you'll find that here, you know, the last, oh my God, the last couple of months have been just wonderful having everybody back in the office. Not all the time, but most of the time. And our first, second and third years are all in three or four days a week at the moment. And they'll come in five, if, a lot of them will come in five as well, because the buzz, right, and the engagement and the relationships that they're building up and the learning on the job that they are getting. So they do work hard, yes. And for many, they're studying because you study for your profession at the same time. But it, there's an unbelievably supportive environment. The person who's sitting beside you is probably only one year or two years ahead of you. And everybody's been through the same process. So the support that you get and the opportunity to learn and for not just professional development, but personal development is absolutely huge. Um, and I think that's why people, they don't mind working so hard because they are learning. Things are new and they are very supported in, in I suppose, in delivering the work that they're delivering, but also supported from a personal learning perspective, which I think is critically important. And people really, really value that. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great place to work. You, you learn lots, never a dull moment. Um, and in terms of how to, I mean, many of the people listening to this would be very familiar with the internship and placement programs that we and many others have. And then for uh, for certain people who decide that that's not you know, a priority for them or they want to go, go and do something else. Um, there's also the opportunity for what we I think it's it's an awful name. We've always called the milk round, which is really yeah, the, sure. The that's you can't get rid of it. It's still there. Yeah, it's still there. This the season around September, October time, and into early November, where we go out to the universities, um, and there's an opportunity then, which is like the the annual opportunity for those in their final year to apply for an, for a. Um, a, a contract with us. And when I say a contract, that's a, a three and a half, three or three and a half year training program where you have the opportunity to do, if you were coming into audit or tax, it should be do your charged accountancy exams and or your tax exams. Or if you're going into consulting, there might be another range of exams that you might choose to do, do there. So it's about, you know, personal learning as well. You get a huge amount out of it and you get a huge exposure to different types of companies, which then enables you to go on and 
you know, really decide what you want to focus on yourself. It's a test bed of sorts, isn't it? The first few years and there may be certain things you like and certain you don't. Exactly. And there's an opportunity to travel as well. I mean, I've been really, really fortunate in getting the opportunity to spend a lot of time in the States, Japan, Taiwan, uh, all over Europe. Uh, and I suppose my, my preferred, given the types of clients that I work, I work with, you know, pre-COVID would have probably traveled to the States five or six times a year. Uh, and post-COVID, I've only been back twice, but I can't wait to get back there again in February. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can imagine during COVID, you were not a happy woman at all because you are you are so on the road. You, you have survived and you're here and you're getting back out there. So that's great. And thanks for taking part in the conversation. It's very interesting, right from tax, right through Ireland on the global stage. And then what people need to do or what kind of life they can have if they join one of the big four companies. Thank you very much. That's Anna Scally, who is a partner at KPMG. Thanks for coming on. Enjoy your Christmas and we'll see how those trends work out over the next year. We'll get some early sense of them in 2023. And here's to that year ahead. Thank you very much, Anna. Thanks so much. Now, if you enjoyed this week's episode of the UCD Business Impact Podcast, please subscribe to episodes on Apple Podcast or Spotify. We cover a broad range of topics with insights from business leaders around the world, so there is sure to be something there for everyone. I'd like to thank our production team of Beth Gormley and Mike Liffey. They work tirelessly in the background, sourcing interviewees, editing, promoting episodes, and everything in between. I've been your host, Emmett Oliver. We hope you can join us next time on UCD Business Impact. Yeah.